Howdy, folks. Happy Monday. It's a smoky Monday in Buffalo. And, you know, it, it, I, I read a story this morning that, you know, la last night I was going out for my Sunday night, you know, coffee and sort of relaxation after doing some writing. And I looked up in the sky and the, obviously the sun was out because, you know, it had been raining all day, but then the sun came out. But it was like a red ball in the sky. There was no glare. And it was because it was really smoky out. And today I, I read online that Buffalo got is got the, the high, the highest rating of like some of the Northeast cities in terms of the smoky uh, stuff from the Canadian wildfire. So thanks Canada. But uh, we'll start with the pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. All right. So uh, let's talk about um, there's been a series that's been going on for, I want to say maybe three years called dark side of the ring. And, what it, it, it regard it's regarding wrestling, but they do a good job. Like Chris Jericho is part of the um, narration, and they really dig into certain stories. So it's story driven. It's not really like just documentary about a guy. So you know, some of them are heinous. You know, some of them are just bad luck. Some of them are stories. You know, it's a, there's a mix. And there was one yesterday on Adrian Adonis, and I remembered him. I said, "Wow, you know, I remembered him from a couple WrestleManias," and. Yep. For the group, I included one of his promos when he was going to go wrestle in Buffalo because, much to my surprise, he was from Buffalo, and I didn't know that. I don't know if you knew that, Mike. I don't think so. Yeah, he was from, like, the mean streets of Buffalo, and it's kind of funny because he would there are no there are, there are no mean streets in well, Buffalo. Well, back when he was growing up, there were. In the city. In the city. So, and, and he would beat up people. Like, that was his thing. Like, He'd walk around with guys, and if he was collecting money, he beat you up, and then eventually he got into wrestling. And, you know, he kind of went with that gorgeous George vibe. Um, and so that's – and that worked. And he was a heel wrestler. But the um, I especially enjoy – I'll talk about the dark side thing for in a minute, but I, I really enjoyed the promo because there's nobody, nobody like a homegrown guy that knows how to get to his own city. Like probably nobody when he was going well, – maybe half the crew crowd maybe knew he was from Buffalo and probably many didn't. So he rips the sabers. He rips the bills. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say, first of all, it was almost like a, a misnomer calling him Adrian Adonis. Cause if I remember correctly, he was massively overweight. He was right. That's part of the shtick. He was, he was a pig. He was in. Yeah, so, yeah. So anyway, but go ahead. But that was part of the shtick. But the thing is, you know, so he's ripping the home crowd and stuff and it's really just, it's just, it's funny the way, that went down but wasn't funny the way he he ended up dying in like a car crash and so you know they talked about the early part of his career and this mysterious car crash and and i have to say like i said they do a very good job because like when the wwe does a documentary they definitely fall short of telling you things it's so sanitized it's ridiculous right. now and this one really doesn't this one does real like interviews they really try and get to the bottom of hey were these guys drinking and it turns out they really weren't it's just like, you know, again, I know it sounds cliche, but they said they were trying to avoid a moose and it was in Newfoundland. And, you know, that happens yeah. on the highway like it does. To sort of bring it from wrestling, use, using something wrestling to bring it towards hockey. Um, now, I didn't know that uh, if you remember the the famous tag team of Edge and Christian. Yeah. Uh, Christian is from the is from the Toronto area and he is. Right. He is a abashed Maple Leaf fan. He's now in AEW. He's left the WWE, and and Kev AEW was doing a uh, a thing in Calgary uh, a couple days ago, and apparently 
Christian as part of his little pre-match shtick basically came out and said, nobody, everybody wants out of Calgary. You're, the Calgary Stampede sucks and all the Flames want to be traded out of Calgary and want to go to Toronto or something. I think he threw the, I know he threw in the fact that he was from Toronto, sort of like that's the real city. Nobody wants to be in I mean, okay. We know that they're there to, to stir up the crowd, but that's that that's going a little bit over the line. I mean, I that's like what you do. That's what. Yeah, you do. no, that's what wrestling is all about. I, you know, I'm not a big wrestling guy. I don't really know much about it, other than when my grandmother was alive. I used to <laughs> watch it with her when I was young. But uh, uh, but that's you know that's their shtick. You know, they've made an incredible living. A lot of these guys from stir up the narrative. Yeah, stir up the stir the pot. There's no doubt about it. That's yeah. what they do. They they try and stir the pot, but um, but you know it's funny, Mike. So not trying to stir the pot. The other day, um, there was a post on Twitter, and they said, "Tell me something. Uh, tell me like an analytics lie." And I said that Mitch Marner can't play defense. And oh my God, this thing blew up. Like I I had no idea what I was in for, and it just. It was like it was like I lit a fuse, and that thing went for like six hours. And at one point, I did actually say because I wasn't going to answer everybody. I was like, "Listen, there are actual analytics that point to the fact that he does play defense, and he's better at it now." And there were people that think he can't play defense. He, he was nominated for the Selkie. For it doesn't matter. There's still Mike. There's a horde of people yeah, okay. who don't believe he can play defense, and it was just unbelievable the onslaught. This is what and this is the ongoing battle, Kev. And it, it there's no point in it'll never be solved. You've got a certain group of people who are the eye test group, a certain people group of people who believe in the in the numbers. And then there's somebody in the in between, like me. I mean, I, I I think numbers are valuable, but not I'm not a slave to them. And these idiots out there who are like, okay, Mitch Marner is a terrible defensive player because he's sm he's smaller and he's not physical. They're, they're clueless. They're the same group who think Justin Hall is a good defenseman, and he's not. So so and and how do I know this? Because I've watched the game since I was four friggin' years old. That's why. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm. Uh, you know how much I love sports, but I cannot get that um, intense over those kind of arguments. Um, I just simply can't. Uh, you know, I I like the sport too much, but you know, I mean, those kind of debates. I mean, how long have we? Yeah. You know, probably since I was young, I've had debates about who was a better player and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I'm done after about five or six minutes. After you make your point and I make mine, then we right. you know, right. we, can, we kind of move on. But there is that that goes on. I mean, it's just incredible. You I mean, you see it under all your stories and you're going like, what inspires What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. What inspires people to get that worked up? But speaking no. of uh, just a little bit off the thing here yesterday, um, I've talked before, like I just can get caught up pretty easily in any kind of a sporting event, even if I don't really have a vested interest. And um, I, for some reason, turned on the uh, uh, Scotland Open uh, golf tournament yesterday. And lo and behold, I just in time to see this guy named McIntyre hit this incredible shot on a really, really, really difficult finishing hole. Like it, it, it was, I think it was going uh, averaging one stroke over, you know, par for the thing. There were, he was only 
uh, the second guy to birdie it. And so I've just uh, kind of given away the situation. But he was in a mess. He was out in the rough, and he hit this incredible shot. People were saying it's one of the best golf shots they had ever seen. He used like a five uh, wood, and he got it within uh, birdie range on that hole and then took a one-stroke league in this in the Scottish Open. And McEnroy, McEnroy was uh, Rory was chasing him, and um, he needed to not only just tie him, uh, he needed one stroke just to tie him, and he did that on a hard 17th hole. And then going into the 18th, his mission was simply uh, to get through that for a playoff. You know, you don't want to give up a stroke there because it's a tough, difficult hole. And then he hit a shot that was just as incredible as McIntyre did uh, to get that, and he ended up uh, making the birdie putt. He won the tournament, the uh, first time McElroy had ever won on, on Scottish uh, soil. Um, and it turned out to be a great event. And I was, after I was done watching it, and I was saying, you know, I would have never guessed on Friday that I was going to get caught up in for two holes in the Scottish Open, but I, I certainly did. And anybody who uh, was like me and stumbled into that, it was just a fun moment in sports. Probably a good as good a fifteen minutes as you're going to find. Yeah, I, I know. I know somebody who was who got caught up in the Wimbledon final between Jokovic and I can't even remember the name of the. Yeah. Yeah, a young, young, a younger player in Jokovic, I guess, had a temper tantrum during the – Right, and he, it was a five-set, uh, you know, class. Yeah, I mean, my, my wife is a big uh, tennis fan, and she watches it, and she had said after the youngster had taken a 2-1 lead in the sets, she goes, you know, this is uh, Jokovic's M.O., like he lets you in it for a while, and then he comes back, and then she told me hey, – just as I said, we're going to a fifth set, and this is where he usually takes charge. But guess what? He didn't take charge, and he lost it. So yeah, Carlos Alci Alcaraz. Okay. Anyway, okay, let's get started here. Yeah. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, July 17th, 2023. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. Kevin Allen, Detroit Hockey Now. And I'm the calm and sedate Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on Hockey Buzz. Okay, some news and notes here. Uh, first of all, not big news here, but Connor Bedard signs his ELC with the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, apparently on his birthday, which is nice. It's nice symbolism there. Yeah. Um, it's a you know obviously a three-year entry-level deal, and unlike uh, the controversy seven years ago, Russ, when it came to Austin Matthews and his ELC with Toronto. They gave him the full Schedule A, Schedule B bonuses, up to $3.5 million if he hits all his marks. No con- no, no controversy, no, you know, pissing and moaning. You know, it was, you know, because that was that was Lou Lamorello. Um, but uh, the, in, in the end, they just gave him the gave him all the bonuses and said, kid, go out there and do what you do what you do. Also, Connor sold a lot of tickets. <laughs> he did. Yes. We can't forget that. The minute he was drafted, they were. Yeah. Actually, the minute the lottery happened, they were besieged with ticket yeah. requests. So, um, but I, again, yeah, I mean, I of course you're going to pay him all those bonuses. I do think it was interesting. It was on his birthday. Did I hear right? Did they not have a development camp because they thought it would be too big with him in it? I don't know. They didn't have a development camp. I heard it was because they thought a lot of their players had played too many games. Um, okay. You know, they had gone. There had some guys that were in the you know the world championship. You know what? I think you have it and you do the off ice stuff. I don't know why you wouldn't have it. Doesn't well, they, they they had some people there. I mean, oh, they, they, okay. coming in, they just didn't have any competition. They didn't have any competition? Okay, that makes more sense. Because yeah, I heard that and I was like, really? They didn't have an okay. 
But at any rate, Connor Bedard's going to be big box office this year. Uh, I expect he'll at least be on national television a couple times. This Speaking of this uh, development camp, uh, this year I learned uh, how far these teams now are going in developing players. You know, the big thing at the Detroit camp was the fact that they, in addition to nutrition, what they've been doing for a while and, you know, what you should eat, um, they brought in someone to discuss the importance of sleep, which for a hockey player, a carousing hockey player, uh, you know, that's probably important. Uh, and there was a funny anecdote that I don't know if uh, um, Kosa, the goaltending prospect, Sebastian Kosa, whether he told it on himself or someone else uh, spilled the beans, but he was pretty proud that um, he had, because they monitor their sleep, uh, that he had gotten more than eight hours of sleep in his bed. And he was pretty <laughs> pleased, and he turned over his electronics to the person, and then the person came back to him and said, did you take your phone to bed? He goes, yeah. And he goes, well, according to this, you only slept six plus hours. The other two hours, you were on the phone. And, you know, you know, he just thought if he was in the bed eight hours, right. you know, that's all that mattered. But, you know, there's probably a lesson for all of us in, in that as well. Is, uh, oh, yeah, I do the same thing. I mean, I'm guilty. I, yeah. I remember Chip Kelly is the one who started this with the Eagles that I remember. I know they did it in college before that. And now I guess it's working its way into hockey. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's good. But I do think um, you can't let the coach use it against the players, though. You should really only use it for research purposes because there are some people, look, sometimes there's nights that I get five, five and a half hours sleep, and I'm fine. Not everybody gets eight hours a night, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, honestly, true. I haven't had eight hours sleep. The only time I get eight hours of sleep is when I'm sick. It's, yeah. it's, real. it's, like I, it's just not normal for me so you know whatever i mean it, i'm sure they want these players to be well rested i'm sure they want them to get to bed early because what's what's the old phrase nothing nothing good ever happens after what 2 a.m yeah. 11 a.m 11 p.m is what Bo simbrick used to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the time is moving yeah so anyway but um uh, now, interesting signing. Um, Tanner Janot signs his two-year deal with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, $2.665 million. Um, that's pretty much in line. I mean, Kev, he, he had 24 goals as a rookie. We talked about him uh, a couple years ago when he was when he was a rookie, and he did really well with Nashville. Last year, only had six goals between Tampa and Nashville. Obviously, I think they're expecting him to bounce back, sort of like what Brandon Hagel did uh, when he got traded from Chicago the, that first year. He didn't play very well. And then last year, I think he was top five scorer for Tampa Bay. So obviously with the exodus of guys like Maroon and Perry, they're they're hoping and expecting that Janot returns to uh, the form that he had when he was in Nashville. I don't think that the Lightning think that he is going to be that kind of level of score, but you know, reality and truth is usually in the middle, and I think that's what they're counting on—that he'll be a maybe a thirteen goal scorer. But what they really want from him, he he does continue to deliver, which is you know a real rough and tumble game. You know, he's hard to play against. Uh, he has a level of belligerence that. Uh, I think most coaches uh, like to see, um, and you know they've lost a lot of that. You know they're, they're they've lost their gumption, they've lost their uh, irritating presence because uh, you know they had to let those guys uh, leave, as you said, uh, Patrick Maroon uh, um, and uh, 
no Corey Perry, uh, exactly. So I think it was an important signing. And again, you know, it's it's below the average salary in the NHL. It's not one that's going to break the bank. And um, so I, I think they're pretty pleased to get him there. And, you know, he probably is happy with it as well. Russ, you have to unmute yourself. Maybe log off and log back in. I if you go. I, there's something that came up, so I got to run. Okay. All right. Yeah, sorry. Well, no problem. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll just do a quick quick show here. Um, now, Kev, you were talking about players that are yet unsigned, and I think that's interesting and probably what we're yeah. going to track over the next uh, couple months. Um, I mean, obviously, the the two names that are out there the, um, that uh, I think everybody sees. Well, actually, three names: Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, and Patrice Bergeron. Uh, we know about Kane; he probably isn't going to sign until it's closer to when he's back to health. Taves, it ke- I keep hearing different things. I hear he's going to retire. Then I hear he's not going to go back to the Blackhawks. And then I hear, well, he might go to Winnipeg because he's from Winnipeg. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any sort of hard and fast knowledge about what he's going to do. No, um, most of the people I talk to just think he's going to retire. You know, he's uh, had enough, uh, you know, illness issues over the last couple of years, and he's, uh, you know, tired of uh, worrying about that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, that's the that's the best guess. Um, and then Kane, I think there's some strategy involved here. I think he wants to help. I, I think he still wants to go back to the Rangers, much to the chagrin of Russ Cohen. <laughs> um, and, you know, by waiting longer and, and stuff, he, uh, uh, you know, the Rangers can get their house in order to prepare to add him somewhere down the line. So um, that, that makes some sense in that regard as well. And then the Tarasenko thing, you know, he's got new representation uh, he's a guy that I think a lot of teams would be interested in. And I think he's just going to take his time because uh, whoever, um, you know, gets him, you know, knows what they're getting. I don't think there's any big surprise. But uh, one of the guys I'm finding really curious because I've watched him the last couple of years, he's a good hockey player, is Pew Suter. Um, yeah. You know, I think the Red Wings would have re-signed him, but he wanted a multiple-year deal. And he's a very dependable player. Like, he can play – Third line, fourth line, second line. He can slide up and down. Very responsible defensively. Can kill penalties and consistent goal score. 13, 14 every year. Right. Uh, and I think that's where he's going to be. Um, a real solid player. So I'm surprised he's still out there. I'm guessing it has still has to do with uh, the years he wants on a contract. I think he feels at this stage in his career he's deserving of a two-year deal. And probably is, but. Um, you know, he got three million bucks from the Red Wings, and I don't think he's going to get anywhere near that in this this environment. So, you know, he may be looking at you know somebody offering a one point two or one point three, and for one year, and he's thinking, "Are you kidding me?" But you know, really, what are his options? Unless he wants to play in the KHL, um, which I doubt he does. Um, you know, I think he's going to have to accept that. I don't. He can't go back to Switzerland and earn that kind of money. No, um, and he's I think. He, he wants to play in the NHL. So. He's probably going to end up with one of those teams that has cap space that's looking to fill their roster like Arizona or San Jose or Anaheim or Chicago on a one-year deal because, uh, you know, if he has a good year, then he can turn around in unrestricted free agency next year and maybe maybe get that multiple-year offer. But, yeah, I was I was a little surprised that they – it was a qualifying offer, right? He didn't – if the qualifying offer was uh, probably in the three range – 
um, that, you know, Eisman must have thought that that was just too rich, um, you know, that he would have settled for. But if he wants multiple years, I just don't think he's going to get nobody is going to get multiple years now, except for a guy like Matt Dumba. Yeah. Yeah. We do. We, we do want to talk about Dumba, too. But uh, the one thing about Suter um, that I think like I wouldn't rule out a contender trying to find a way to fit him in. And, um, you know, it may come down because, you know, and I've talked about this before, it's a misnomer. Like if you're capped out that you can't afford an 800 or a $900,000 player. I mean, those bottom salary players are interchangeable. You know, you move one out and you move another one in, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, but um, uh, it, that extra 400,000 that may, he may be required to get that, you know, 1.2 or 1.3, you know, they're always, uh, at, especially in this sort of situation, trying to get that extra 100,000 or 200,000. So, you know, that could cause problems. But I, I think, you know, he's played for poor teams since he got over here, and I bet he'd like to play for a good team. Yeah. Um, now, I mentioned Bergeron. That's up in the air right now. It, de- it depends. You know, it, it sounds like Krejci is more def- definite that he's going to retire. Bergeron, uh, apparently him and his wife just had a fourth child. Um, there hasn't been any kind of signal of him retiring. I haven't seen anything in terms of, you know, them being sure that he's going to come back. So really it's up in the air. And I would think that the Bruins maybe are not pressing him because they realize how important it would be for him to come back, but they're probably going to have to get an answer from him. I would say sometime next month, because I would think that they're probably going to want to make some sort of deal to fill up the middle I, I don't right now. If if he retires and Krejci retires, they're one and two center are Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle. That's yeah. not, it's not exactly awe inspiring. No, I you know I you can make a case certainly, and we've talked about this before that you know they're the biggest unknown going into the next season. Like you know they were the obviously the runaway President's Trophy winner, um, and they were had just an incredible season. I don't know any other word for it other than incredible. Um, or at least regular season. And then uh, now you just don't know. I mean, are they in danger of missing the playoffs? Like, you know, it's hard to tell. Like, there's still a lot of quality players on that team. Um, and their goaltending is certainly, they've got, if you know, Allmark and uh, uh, Swayman, and both those guys are high-level goaltenders. So, you know, are they going to keep both of them? I mean, if they bring Bergeron back, uh, you know, how much money will he play for? Will they need to make a move? Will they have to trade a goalie? Um, and, you know, the goaltending market didn't uh, develop the way we thought it would. I mean, uh, Hellebuck is still available. Gibson is still available. Um, so I don't know. I mean, is New Jersey going to take one of those guys? Uh, well, uh, let's, let's talk about that for a second because I, I – uh... Uh, Anthony's joining us. That's cool. Uh, thanks, Anthony, for joining. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? Um, th- this is the interesting thing about the goaltending situation around the league. You know, New Jersey's a team that, like you said, Kev, um, and Buffalo is a team that I've written about extensively in terms of their goaltending. They seem to right now want to go into the season with Levi and Lukanen. But I wrote for uh, Hockey Now about the, you know, what? okay, how much rope – will those young goalies in Buffalo get? Like if in the middle of the season they're hovering around the playoffs or just outside of the playoffs, 
you know, what Kevin Adams will do. And I, I look at the landscape of, you know, who might be out there. And obviously Hellebuck, if he stayed in Winnipeg, would be on the block. And maybe Gibson would be. It would be tougher to fit those guys in in the middle of the season. Um, but if they don't go after those guys, then you're looking at goaltenders who are backups or on bad teams like Capo Kakinen in San Jose or Auntie Ranta in Carolina. And the point I'm trying to make is if you get into the season, the options really are less for teams like New Jersey and Buffalo. And if they go after one of those guys, the price, even though their their contracts are expiring, might be higher then than they would be now in the summer before the season starts. So I honestly, if I'm Buffalo, I'd be going after the goaltender now because it's an unknown quant. And with with New Jersey, maybe they can wait, Kev, until the until the season because they still have they'll still have the young assets. But if I'm Tom Fitzgerald and I'm Kevin Adams, I'm going after those goaltenders now. But they don't seem to want to be doing that. Yeah, and I think both those teams are at the stage where. It's important for the fan bases that they, you know, make a major step, particularly in Buffalo, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, you know, like to me, it's it's an, a great imperative that they make the postseason uh, next season. I mean, you got you got to act as if, um, you know, it's uh, win or else, or get in the playoffs or else. I mean, it, it's just been way too long and. You know, you're, you've lost you've, – you've created some enthusiasm now with the fan base again that you haven't had in a while. Um, you got to take advantage of it. you got to give those fans a reason to uh, continue to uh, be engaged. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you, Mike. I, I think it is the time to do something and just, you know, push all in to get in the postseason. Now, Anthony, the, the, the Flyers situation with goaltending we, – okay, we know the Flyers are not going to contend for a playoff spot. We know that they're rebuilding – but really, everything is in limbo right now with Carter Hart until we find out that Hockey Canada report. And if he's cleared, then I think his name pops up again, potentially as a trade commodity, either before the season or before the deadline, because he's a good young goaltender and he's making less than four million bucks. Yeah, I would I would think, you know, that if we get to that point where we have a bit more clarity with, with the Team Canada situation, then it's possible then at that point. Again, Dambrier stated he's this team is in listening mode on a lot of their players, and certainly Carter Hart is among them. But at the moment, uh, they have not, you know, with, with, I think with, with all the uncertainty, they're certainly not getting, you know, any offers that are enticing them to move off, to move off of him right now. Um, and that that's a big and, and that's really where 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 things stand. Could I see once things clear up, Buffalo being, you know, Kevin Adams being on the horn talking to Danny Breer about Hart once they have some clarity? Sure. Again, it's a, it's it, it's it's structured. It's called it's it's called control. Hart has been in the heat of a playoff race before at a young age and helped, you know, obviously he was able to backstop the team into the postseason, backstop the team into the postseason, granted in a, in a rather unique situation. But um yeah, I could I could absolutely see that from especially from a budgetary standpoint too for what mm-hmm. he would cost Buffalo. Um, although the flyer again, I, I'm sure the Flyers are going to want some pretty some decent pieces that are maybe close to NHL ready that in return. That's probably what they're going to want. But again, that's based off of if he's in the clear. Yeah, and but okay, Buffalo has been ranked near the top or, or uh, at the top of teams in terms of their prospect pool. Mm-hmm. So anybody any 
talk of them going after a defenseman like Pesci or Hannafin, mm-hmm. any talk about them trading for a goaltender. Those teams are going to be asking for Ostlin or Rosine or Cooley. Yeah. They're going to be or Savoy. They're going to be asking for their. And right now, that see that's where the Sabers don't want to trade those guys. But I don't think that's changing. If they if uh, all of a sudden they go to Winnipeg uh, in in February and say we want Hellebuck, uh, even if it's an expiring contract, they're not taking a first round. First, first word out of the mouth could be Kulik, probably. Yeah, they want. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of that, Mike. Uh, you know, like I think everybody. If you look over the last few seasons, almost all the teams have been resistant to giving away players that they've already drafted that they know. Like I, I know um, Steve Eisenman has said it's a little bit easier to give away a draft pick because you have no idea who that is mm-hmm. than to get someone that you've actually invested a little bit of time in. So I think the currency now for those kind of moves have become, you know, mostly draft picks or. B level prospects, you know, getting the diamond in the rough. Um, you know, I think I think the fact that uh, you know Florida gave up, um, you know, the the current Buffalo goalie uh, Levi. Oh, yeah. yeah, because they had because they had Spencer Knight. That's why they figured. That's why that's that that you know people look at that, but I think it was the special circumstances of having already had Spencer Knight right. that that created that. So you know, I I. I think that, that the, the cost is going to still be the same, but, um, you know, they might say, okay, you got to add some second round, a second round pick to it or a second, uh, second round mm-hmm. pick, something like that. But I, I think teams have been pretty consistent of being able to hang on to the draft, including Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, um, they said they weren't giving up their best uh, prospect mm-hmm. and, they, and they didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah. I'm uh, just saying in terms of it from a, from an initial ask, Kev, I certainly would if I'm yeah. if I'm Winnipeg, the initial ask certainly would be first where I'm out. Yeah, great. but then you negotiate him somewhere in between. Yeah, yeah. Now just to finish off here before we end the show, um, Dumba is clearly the best defenseman on the market right now. There's continued to be talk about him connected to Arizona, connected to San Jose. Funny thing is. Connected to San Jose, I have a feeling that that is in connection with them being able to pull off a Carlson deal, which would clear space for them to be able to sign Dumba. And Dumba's younger. He, he's coming off. He's coming off a pretty, probably the worst year of his career. He only had 14 points last year, so maybe they could get him at a, on a better value. But Kev, I, I, I think if it, if San if San Jose is the team interested, that's probably going to have to wait. Maybe he's in limbo right now, like D'Angelo was in limbo because everything is clogged up because of the Carlson thing. That that could be, and I think if if he is going to San Jose, that would uh, lead me to believe that that Carolina is in the lead for that because if Pittsburgh right. makes that deal, they've got to dump Petrie. So right. if Petrie's going back on six million. Uh, you know, and how much does that leave for Dumba? Well, if you if you have both Petrie and Dumba equally eleven million, I think I'd rather have Carlson for eleven five. So, do you think there's a possibility, Kevin, that that Dumba maybe signs on a one year deal for? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Just to try to reestablish his market for next off season, right? When there's going to be more money, there'll be more. Do a Klingberg, but but see that that's the cautionary tale. And we we had we had Taylor Baird on off the post yesterday, and we were talking about the Klingberg situation in Dallas and how he turned down a deal. I think it was over seven million on a seven-year deal. He turned that down, 
and then they went a different direction. And then he signed a one-year deal with Anaheim, had a bad year in Anaheim, didn't do that great again with Minnesota once he got traded. Now he's in Toronto trying to sort of, uh, I think, you know, reclimate his career. But he's never getting that money back that he turned down in Dallas. Um, there's a there's a big risk if you go someplace, but I mean, he, may, he may not have any choice here. And it, I don't think anybody's going to sign Matt Dumba to a seven year deal right now. So, no. so a um, couple other names. Obviously, D'Angelo is out there. Uh, Anthony, I, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it's funny. He got benched at the end of the year. He still had forty two points. He still he had. He still he had, had a pretty good offense. Power play time. I mean, he did a power play time. Um, he had opportunities, uh, and he had a decent number of secondary assists last season for sure. So that part of his game, I think, is something that, again, if a team like Carolina or somebody else is using him more in that third pair, number five, but using him on the power play, he's going to get – he will get points. He's still got a very – he's still got an excellent shot. Right. And it's fairly heavy and fairly – and, and de decently accurate, although I saw plenty of wide shots from him last year as well. He's Right. <laughs> so it, it's it's a case of yeah i think he still has value it's just you know he I, what he's going to get on the open market is going to be um going to be intriguing uh the other two names and kev i put this guy even though pia Suter is uh five years younger than him thomas Tatar with new jersey had 20 goals he had 48 points and he is not signed yet. Yeah, there, there was a report out of Russia that that the KHL has got their mitts on Tatar. Now, uh, we weren't able to translate it to figure out if that's the truth or not because you got to be careful with those reports. Um, so we don't know, but there's been rumors that he's going over there. And, of course, that is the one league where you can make NHL-style money. And, you know, if somebody was only offering – you know, Tatar in the you know one point one, one point two, one year range, he might be able to do better by going mm -hmm. to the NHL. Yeah. And the other one is Josh Bailey, who got traded and bought out. Now he may be at the end of it. He's thirty three years old. He only had twenty five points. There's been some speculation about Toronto sort of sniffing around on a veteran minimum deal. You know, honestly, I, if, if it's that type of thing, like they did with Zach Aston Reese last year, I, I don't have a problem with it because, you know, he's a guy who could play third or fourth line for you. But I mean, that's not exactly a, he's not exactly sexy out there, Anthony. He's not a, he's not somebody who's going to score 30 goals ever again. No, he's probably going to be, I mean, if he, he to me, he's going to either be in camp on a one year deal or a uh, PTO. Training camp invite. Yeah, exactly. Somebody says, "All right, let's get a look. We'll get a look at, at see what he has to still maybe to offer us." But that, to me, I think he's in that he's in that territory. Certainly, I think on, on a on a one year deal for sure. Right. I kind of thought maybe uh, the he would end up with the Predators. Uh, mm, just a possibility, Kevin. Yeah, I could. Yeah. Well, yeah, Barry Trotz coached him, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. kind of knows exactly what he's getting, and you know, so maybe that would uh, work out there. That's a possibility. Okay, uh, great job, guys. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast for the departed Russ Cohen. For Anthony Mangione, for Kevin Allen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.